Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the J-Notes Blast podcast. I'm your host, Jared Woodcox, and really looking forward to today's show. I'm going to be joined by a guest who's a real hoops expert, especially as it pertains to the Memphis Grizzlies, uh, Christian Dudley, who is a contributor for Bill Street Bears, who covers the Memphis Grizzlies for the Fan Sided Network. He's going to be hopping on the phone with me here shortly. And obviously, he spent a lot of time watching uh, Mike Conley in his years there in Memphis. I'm familiar with Jeff Green, who had a couple seasons there uh, with the Grizzlies as well. So for point one, we're going to be talking about precisely that. We'll jump in and talk about Mike Conley and how he impacts the Jazz. Uh, we'll talk about Jeff Green and his impact for uh, for the second point. And then we'll wrap up with some predictions about you know how the Jazz are going to fare with these new players as well as the other guys they've added and the other changes across the Western Conference. So without further ado, I'll go ahead and welcome uh, Christian Dudley um, onto the show over the phone, and we'll get started. Point one. All right, now I have joining me over the phone, I want to welcome Christian Dudley, uh, who covers the Memphis Grizzlies for Beale Street Bears on the Fan Sided Network. Uh, Christian, how are you doing today? Pretty good, Jared. How are you doing? Doing good. Can't complain at all. Like, excited for the NBA season to start, man. I can't come soon enough. <laughs> Got that right. Lots of moves going on. Uh, lots of you know teams shaking things up trying things that are different for them, uh, so it's going to be a fun season. Yeah, it, it's crazy how much really changed this summer. I feel like things opened up, and it's anybody's guess what's going to happen. Yeah, there was a lot more um, player movement than I thought there would be. I thought that a few more guys would tend to stick with the teams that they were already on, or the Bolton, but this season had all kinds of changes. Yeah, it was crazy. And, you know, obviously, uh, Christian, have you on today to talk about, uh, you know, a couple of former Grizzlies and Mike Conley and, and Jeff Green. Um, but before we do that, just real quick, I'm curious, what are your hopes or what are your thoughts for the Memphis Grizzlies? Are you excited about John Morant? Uh, what are you looking forward to this year? And what's obviously probably going to be a rebuilding year. I am very excited for John Morant, um, but also an underrated aspect of the Grizzlies will be Brandon Clark, who was the Vegas Summer League um, yeah. MVP. Um, he played fantastic. Um, I think that he's going to be a solid pickup. And honestly, he might uh, get some really good competition with Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, in the front court. It might force the Grizzlies to play more uh, Jaron and Brandon. And that might mean less minutes for Jonas Valanciunas. And that might cause a rift. So that could be a headline that uh, you can be looking forward to once the season gets started. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, I, I have been high on Morant for a while, and so I was glad he went to a team like the Grizzlies and not a team <laughs> personally like, like the Knicks or, or the Lakers or something like that. So excited to see him be there and blossom and grow, and, and hopefully it'll be a fun year for the Grizzlies. For sure, especially since Mike Conley's gone now, which we're about to talk about yeah. in depth. Uh, it was just kind of perfect timing to have a high uh, point guard prospect available. Grizzlies didn't have to make a reach or anything like that. And uh, it's probably going to be the next phase of the franchise, which is definitely welcomed right now. Yeah, definitely. Well, with that said, let's, let's go ahead and pivot over to, to Mike Conley, who we'll be talking about in this in this first point today. And, you know, really just a blanket question I have for you to start, Christian Dudley, is if you could explain to me just overall, you know, what are the Jazz getting in Mike Conley? First off, he's a high-character guy. Um, he's a true professional. Um, that can be said about his game on the court and also off the court. Um, he's actually probably a better player off the court than he is on the court. Um, he did all kinds of community work since day one in Memphis. Um, his wife is heavily involved with the community with him. Um, so you will definitely see him out in the community there in Utah. Um, him, his wife, and their two kids. Um, but the city of Memphis just loves Mike Conley. Um, he was always given 110% all the time. 
if you remember some of those good playoff series that the Grizzlies are known for this decade, um, he was always battling through injuries. Um, he would not take no for an answer when it came to his game time status. Um, he would be out there with practically one eye because, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, one injury he had versus Portland and then Golden State, uh, I think it was 2015. Yeah. Um, he was basically playing with a broken face. Um, he had the eye swollen shut, uh, but he was still out there giving it all. And he was playing like an MVP candidate, too. He was playing some of the best ball of his life uh, while he was battling some of these significant injuries. And that just speaks a lot towards his character um, and what he means to a team. Yeah, definitely. And I like you touched on, obviously, you know, the, the community thing is huge in a place like Utah. And we see Donovan Mitchell doing a lot in the community, Joe Ingles, you know, really, really a, lot of, a lot of the people on the team. And I think Conley will fit that like a glove. And, you know, that segues over really well to, the, to my next question I had for you is, obviously, we just saw Conley win Teammate of the Year and the Sportsmanship Award. Um, can you speak to him, you know, as a teammate and how you think he'll actually fit this jazz chemistry? So Conley, during the last couple of years, um, obviously Memphis not making the playoffs in back-to-back seasons, uh, which is kind of rare for them, but it shows the rebuild. Uh, he's really spent a lot of time developing players, uh, trying to be a good teammate. Um, he's one of these guys that, yeah, he's one of the highest paid guys in the league, but he does not speak up and demand a trade or anything like that. Um, he acknowledges what he means to the city. Um, he's trying to set them up for the next phase, you know, once he's out of town, which he is now in Memphis, um, now he's in Utah. Uh, but it just really speaks to his character and his whole demeanor because he actually cared more about player development, setting the franchise up. Um, and that's exactly what he'll do in Utah. Uh, he'll finish out his prime in Utah. Uh, I expect him to focus on player development as well as contending. So tag team both of those aspects at the same time. Uh, but he won't give it a, give his all to the Utah Jazz, um, set them up for the next phase once his time is done, whether it's two, three, six years from now, who knows. Uh, especially with Donovan Mitchell there, I expect him to really um, help him become a superstar and take it to the next level. Yeah, and, and you know, we've already seen Conley and Donovan Mitchell, you know, working out together, getting that chemistry built. And, you know, the reason I really wanted to ask you about the chemistry there, you know, um, Christian, is because that was something that the past two years the Jazz have been really tight-knit. And, and I do have kind of a feeling there's some concerns among Jazz fans that, you know, with Ricky Rubio leaving, with Derek Favors leaving, uh, Jay Crowder leaving, that there may be kind of a gap in chemistry. But personally, I feel like Conley, someone's going to step in and really make it so the team doesn't skip a beat as far as chemistry goes. He's going to be focused on the right things, and really it's just going to be smooth sailing from there. Would you agree with that? From a chemistry standpoint, absolutely. Um, from a leadership standpoint, I would say, yes, he will be that person. Um, but if the Jazz are needing a vocal leader, somebody to really rally the troops, uh, I think they really need to look towards Donovan Mitchell as being that player. Yeah. Um, now the only knock that I've got on Mike Conley is that uh, vocal leadership was not uh, a part of his game most times. Uh, I would say more times than not, he would be more of a leader than Mark Gasol was. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I really enjoyed Mark Gasol's time in Memphis too, uh, but it seemed like Conley and Mark, uh, both of them, uh, they just did not want to be that guy uh, in Memphis. They don't want to be the one pointing blame. They don't want to take the blame. Uh, they always want to be about the team, which, you know, it's nothing really uh, wrong with that. But nowadays in the NBA, you need that one guy, kind of like LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, uh, Russell Westbrook, some of these names that, you know, they're always vocal. They will express their opinions. 
but they do light a fire underneath their teammates to, you know, kick it up a notch, especially in big playoff moments. Um, so that's one thing the, the Grizzlies really struggled with the last couple of years, especially once Zach Randolph and Tony Allen were out of town. Uh, but as far as chemistry, I mean, you will have no problem with Mike Conley. Um, I think that he is a great compliment on the court and in the locker room. Uh, he's just the nicest guy, high-character guy. So I think he's perfect for the Utah Jazz chemistry. That's great. And, yeah, sounds like, you know, he, from what you're telling me, Christian, he's more of a lead-by-example guy than necessarily a, a vocal leader. And, you know, fortunately, I feel like hopefully, you know, Donovan Mitchell can kind of step up into that role, as you said, as being a vocal leader. And then, obviously, you have Rudy Gobert that hasn't been afraid to, to raise his voice and, and set people straight as needed. So it, it's going to be a good dynamic, I think, and, and hopefully those three together can, can be a great leadership trio. Um, along those lines, you know, specifically going back to Donovan Mitchell, um, how do you foresee Conley really meshing with Mitchell? How do you see them them working together? And, and overall, how good of a backcourt do you think those two can be? Well, Mike Conley excels at playing off ball, uh, so I think it's fantastic because doing so can allow Conley to play his absolute best. But also, since Donovan Mitchell likes to have the ball in his hands, um, I think he'll really create things up for Donovan. Uh, plus, Conley, since he's uh, a career 37.5% three-point shooter, uh, I think that really opens things up for the Utah Jazz. So, of course, Donovan can be lethal from outside, but Conley can as well. Um, so, as they're tag-teaming the ball-handling duties, uh, both those guys should be getting some good looks from outside. Uh, plus, both of them are willing passers, too, especially Conley, uh, especially with his passing. Um, his vision on the floor, I think that it'll really open things up for the teammates too out there on the floor. That's great. Yeah, I know that one of the things that Jazz fans are most excited about is really just finally having a, a point guard in Conley that is a three-point threat. I mean, we saw so many times that opposing defenses would just leave Ricky Rubio wide open. And, and for all the good things Rubio did, there were just so many big moments where he wasn't able to rise to the occasion. And, I mean, the numbers don't lie with Conley. I mean, he's an excellent catch-and-shoot threat. Um, he's great from, you know, corner threes and whatnot. So it's, it's going to be fun to see that dynamic for sure. Um, where do you see, if you had to maybe guess a little bit, do you, do you have an idea of how you think the Jazz backcourt will compare to others in the league? I'm not really sure yet, just because um, I'm, I'm really hoping Mike Conley becomes an all-star in Utah. Yeah. Um, I think that he should have been there multiple seasons in the past. Uh, even this past season, and Conley was honestly uh, at the best he's ever been at this past year. Of course, team record plays into it, um, and also uh, market size and popularity, and Memphis is near the bottom uh, in that regard. So I think in Utah, especially if uh, Conley can finally reach an all-star appearance, um, I think they could be maybe a top three, top four backcourt in the league. Uh, Donovan's already there. I mean, heck, I've already penciled him in as an all-star for this next year. Yeah. I think he's going to have a massive year, especially with uh, the improvement of the Utah Jazz roster. Uh, if they stay up there in like the top tier of the Western Conference, um, I think both of those guys could be on the all-star team. And if so, uh, then that just propels them up there in the backcourt rankings of the league. Yeah, I agree. A lot of times we see, you know, the, these top one or two teams in the league, it, it's not uncommon. They will have two all-stars, sometimes even three. Um, so I agree with you. And he, this is not even just because he's now with the Jazz. I've, I've always wanted to see Conley um, get an all-star appearance. I've always felt like he, he's, you know, very much deserving. So let, let's, let's cross our fingers. This will be the year both for him himself and for the Jazz as a whole. 
Um, what, you know, I already talked a little bit, Christian, about how, you know, jazz fans have expressed a little bit of concern with, with maybe Conley affecting chemistry. Personally, I don't see that being uh, too big an issue. But another concern that, you know, a lot of jazz fans have expressed are they're a little worried about Conley's age and also his, his health. Obviously, you know, two years ago, um, only was able to play in 12 games with the injury there. Uh, I guess, what are your thoughts overall on this as far as it, it pertains to Conley's age and his injury history? So Mike will be turning 32 on November 7th. Uh, so of course his his prime is coming to a close. Uh, so anything could happen at any time. But yeah. back then in the 2016-2017 season, uh, like you mentioned, he only played 12 games. Uh, after those first 12 games, he was shut down for the rest of the season. Uh, but that was in order to fully repair his Achilles that had been a nagging injury uh, for quite a few months. Uh, that kind of prevented him from being at his best in that previous season, and it carried on throughout the offseason yeah. uh, in 2016. Uh, but right now, he is 100%. I think last summer, he showed that he's actually got the best bounce that he's ever had in his life. Uh, so that's pretty amazing since that was after he turned 30 years old. Uh, but last season, I mean, he just played phenomenal. Uh, he looked good. He said that he looked good or that he felt good, too. Uh but, I mean, just watching him, especially in the last couple months there, once Marcus Hall was traded, uh, this guy just took over in games. Um, he had his first 40-point performance uh, of his career. Um, I mean, he just really took charge, and it showed that, I mean, this guy is 100%. Like, uh, he's fully beat that nagging Achilles injury that he had. Uh, so Utah Jazz fans shouldn't be worried about his, uh, I guess, injury proneness, if you want to call it that. Um, he showed over this past 82-game season that um, there should be no concern moving forward. Yeah, that, that, that's great to hear, and, and I really agree with you, Christian. And it's kind of funny. I know that there's a lot of talk about him being, you know, quote-unquote injury-prone, and there was that unfortunate season 2017-18. Uh, but when you look back at his career, I mean, he has a ton of seasons where he played 70-plus games, you know, including last year. Um, he has a lot where he played 80-plus games even. And so I feel like a lot of that's a little bit, you know, maybe overblown. Um, especially where you mentioned in that first question that one of the things I think, you know, jazz fans will love about Conley is his willingness to, you know, he wants to suit up and play. He's a tough guy. He's not going to just sit out cause he, you know, stubbed his toe or something like that. Like he's definitely going to be right. fighting through to play as much as possible. And then, you know, the other thing I find kind of funny is there's been a lot of talk about his age, but as you mentioned, he's not even quite 32. He'll be turning 32 here shortly. Um, but I mean, that is not much older than guys like Steph Curry and, and others that you never hear age brought up. Um, and it's not like he's a 34-year-old Chris Paul who is, you know, his, whose window shrinking. And even with Chris Paul, I mean, I think he has a lot more in his tank than people give him credit for. Um, so I agree. I think the age and injury issues are pretty much overblown with Conley, and, and I'm glad to hear you agree with that. Um, one other question about Conley is, you know, obviously he does have a reputation, especially from the grit and grind era with the Grizzlies, of being, a, you know, a good defender, a great defender. Um, has been on the All-NBA defensive team before. Can you talk to, you know, maybe his defense a little bit? How good of a defender do you think Conley can still be this upcoming season? Well, I think he can be fantastic. Uh, if you look at how he plays defense, he's always up in the other guard's grill. Uh, he's always there going to swipe away the ball, things like that. Um, typically, he averages over two steals per game. Um, that's every single season. If you look down the, down his log, uh, I mean, that guy, he's just got a knack for steals. Um for defense, he's not going to be so much uh, of a big defender 
uh, for like bigger type guards that he might be going against. Mm-hmm. Uh, but typically, uh, he does play the passing lanes well. Um, basically, he's going to play some really good defense, uh, man defense, I should say, on the other team's point guard, uh, but also passing lanes too. So the only uh, thing I see that might be an issue is whenever he's switching off with Donovan Mitchell um, as they're doing the, you know, like I talked about playing off ball and all that stuff. Um, Conley's absolutely going to have to stay on the point guard on the defensive end. Uh, otherwise, he's going to get burned just because he's, uh, he's smaller, um, not as strong as Donovan. Uh, I think it'd just be best to keep him off of shooting guards on defense um, as much as the Utah Jazz can can do. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I think that he'll fit in really well as far as team defense goes. Uh, he is really good at communicating on D. So even if he thinks that maybe he's going to get beat, um, he can get give enough awareness and alertness uh, to the guys down low around the rim to hopefully clog the lane and force shots from going up there in the paint and hopefully force the opposition to kick it out to the three-point line again. That's great, yeah, and I feel like, you know, one thing about him is he comes from a team that, you know, all those years the Grizzlies were really heavily focused on defense, and the Jazz kind of have that same mantra. I think the fit there is going to be really good, and, you know, again, I don't mean for this to in any way be a knock on Ricky Rubio, because Rubio did a lot of things well, um, but I just feel like Conley's ability to stay in front of his man is going to be, you know, huge for this Jazz defense as well, and, and provide a big lift there. So last question um, on Connolly here before we move on to our, our, our next point and talk a little bit about Jeff Green. Um, just if you could pick one thing maybe that we have covered, maybe we haven't covered, uh, but one thing that Jazz fans should be most excited about as it relates to Connolly joining their team, what would that one thing be, Christian? I would say his ability to control the pace of the game. Um, Connolly can run a fast offense. Uh, he can run a slow offense. He basically just dictates it the way that he's got the ball in his hands. Uh, so that's something that will be really nice for Utah Jazz, especially come playoff time. Uh, Conley's ability to really either settle things down for the Jazz, uh, or if Utah's got it going from outside, he can really push the ball, uh, get some good looks going either at the rim or keep passing it around, find some good shots from outside. Um, but he can help them be that team that you know hits first and gets on the scoreboard first. Uh, come playoff time, that's going to be extremely important, especially with a much deeper west, or uh, maybe not so much deeper, but more aligned from top to bottom in the Western Conference. Definitely. Well, awesome. I, I know that I'm excited about Conley, and I'm sure Jazz fans, you know, they probably were already, but but if not, this should even uh, make them feel more excited. Um, let's not go ahead and move on now to point two. We're going to talk a little bit about Jeff Green. Point two. All right, so we've just finished up talking about, obviously, the Jazz's biggest offseason addition in Mike Conley. Um, but they actually are adding another guy that has some history with the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, obviously, Jeff Green played with them for partial seasons in 2014-15 and 2015-16. Um, so I know you have a little bit of experience watching him as well, Christian. And I'm curious, I'll ask you the same initial question I asked about Mike Conley. Can you just describe to me in a nutshell, what are the Jazz getting in Jeff Green? Well, Jeff Green, he's uh, I'll just start out with inefficient. Um, that word definitely describes his whole career. Uh, if you look at his player efficiency ratings ever since he entered the league in t- uh, 2007, um, he's never really been an efficient player. Uh, he has finally become more of a scorer over the course of his career, but now he's more in the role player um, type of position. He really entered that role player type of position when he was uh, with the Memphis Grizzlies for two seasons. He wound up being 
portions of both of those seasons. Um, but when the Grizzlies landed him there in 2015, I think it was like January 4th to be exact, um, it was right before the trade deadline. Grizzlies tried to get that one last piece uh, to really you know, boost their championship contending odds. And Jeff Green wound up being more of a role player than that guy that they wanted to be like a, a second option. Mm-hmm. Um, they really needed a score on the wing. They're at the small forward position to go with Randolph, Gasol, Tony Allen, and Mike Conley. Uh, Jeff Green wound up not being that. Um, some nights he would be hot from outside, and then he might go a week without hitting another three-point shot. Um, for instance, there was a game against Portland uh, during that season where he hit five out of seven three-pointers. And in the next two games, he went 0 of 1 and then 0 of 2, respectively. Wow. Uh, I mean, so that's the type of player Jeff Green is. Uh, a lot of people will remember seeing Jeff Green recently playing with either the Wizards uh, even the Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, when LeBron last made it to the finals. Uh, I mean, Jeff Green's got all the tools to get hot at any given moment, but it's just a matter of him locking in and actually producing. Yeah, that, a lot of those things I feel like resonate. And, you know, one thing I was surprised with about um, Jeff Green, Christian, as you mentioned, is inefficiency. And obviously, you know, last year he only shot 34.7% from three, which, I mean, isn't terrible, but definitely is not that um, that attractive. He's only 33.3% from three in his career. And one thing that surprised me that I didn't realize was, you know, even with that not so great of a three-point percentage, last year he took almost half of his field goal attempts from the three-point line. Um, which is, is is pretty high, I think, if you're if you're not converting at that good of a rate. So, going to be interesting to see how that inefficiency, you know, perhaps plagues him with the Jazz, or if if they can somehow get more out of him than that. Yeah, and one part of that, um, he was top twenty last season in two point field goal percentage. So it's a matter of just actually getting him in the paint, yeah. uh, finding shots for him. Uh, he's really good down there. He's strong. He's like a twitter player between a three and a four. Um, he's strong enough to uh, handle the four position by himself. But it's a matter of just making him not be so lazy, actually get in the paint, uh, vie for position down low, and create scoring opportunities there. Yeah. I mean, the percentages show that he can be efficient from there. It's just a matter of getting him uh, down there and enabling him to actually absorb contact and score through contact. Yeah. Do you think it's it's more of like a, a discipline issue where he just settles for, you know, long-range shots, or is it more the, the team not getting him in his right spot, or what's kind of been the issue there? I think it leans more on the discipline issue. Uh, Jeff Green, during those two seasons in Memphis, uh, I would describe him as more of like a lazy player. Uh, not so much, you know, with a negative light on it. Uh, he's just really calm out there. Uh, sometimes it just seems like he's emotionless. Uh, you know, he's just kind of just out there, especially yeah. uh, on defense. Whenever he's locked in, he really wants to play defense. If he's fired up, uh, he can be one of the best defenders on the court. Um, but if it's just a regular day for him, uh, he'll be a really lazy and relaxed defender. Uh, and it kind of hurts the team to have him out there on defense. Interesting. That That's interesting to hear. And, you know, a lot of things you're saying, Christian, line up really nicely with. I recently read an article um, from a local writer here from the Salt Lake Tribune, Andy Larson, and his big thing on Jeff Green was, you know, if you if you have too high of expectations for him, he, he's probably going to disappoint you. Um, he can be a fine player, but he's probably not going to live up to, you know, super illustrious expectations. And it feels like a lot of what you're saying is similar, that, you know, he has his moments, he has things where he does good things. Um, but overall, he may not be, you know, that much of a game changer as you may hope or, or want him to be. 
Agreed. And for that deal that he just signed with the Utah Jazz, um, I mean, that is where he needed to be. Um, not a whole lot of expectations comes with that minimum salary that he picked up. Yeah. Uh, so if it would have been like, I don't know, five to eight million dollars a year, there would have been some high expectations with that. Right. Uh, but with the minimum salary, uh, you get what you get, you might luck out and he actually um, exceed those expectations. Uh, but at least it's a, a safe play by the Jazz. Yeah, definitely. And that, and that really rolls really neatly into the next thing I wanted to ask you is, you know, it seems like Jeff Green has had to settle for, you know, multiple minimum contracts. And, you know, you saw on Twitter, like Dwayne Wade was kind of chirping about how, you know, he's worth more than that and what have you. I'm just curious, do you think Jeff Green getting minimum contracts is justified? Should he be getting more or is this just perfect for where he's at? I think it's justified right now because show me the results. Yeah. Uh, he, he does not show up in the postseason, uh, whether it was with Memphis or even with Cleveland. Uh, I think he only had maybe one, if not two, uh, good games in that finals run by the Cavs mm-hmm. uh, during LeBron's last season there in Cleveland. Uh, he's just kind of out there. You know, he's not uh, putting up 20 points every game. And actually, uh, with Memphis in the one postseason he was with them, uh, he had double-figure scoring in four out of 11 games. And that's not what the Grizzlies traded for him uh, to do. They didn't need somebody to just go out there and, oh, yeah, I'll put up eight points tonight. They need somebody to give them at least 20 points on the way, night in and night out, uh, not just get pummeled by the opposition. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's absolutely justified that he's getting minimum contracts now. Uh, maybe, you know, once this contract is up, maybe get something larger than that, but that's only going to be depending upon if he actually shows up in the postseason. Uh, otherwise, he can go to a team like maybe Charlotte, get paid more, uh, not make the playoffs. Uh, you know, that's kind of a camaraderie out there, uh, just kind of a rebuild. So if it doesn't work out in Utah, maybe he can go there and get a little bit more money in his pocket uh, because it's not going to be as lofty of expectations on the season. Right, right, that makes sense. And one thing I wanted to pull up real fast and see, I know, you know, I know you've re- uh, referenced a couple times that season where you know, the Grizzlies were really hoping to bring over a dynamic scorer and really have Green help them out. It's interesting because when you look at the games he played um, in Boston in 2014-15, he was averaging nearly 18 points a game. Um, but then in the final 45 games with Memphis, um, that dropped all the way down to 13, uh, 13.1. So, yeah, I mean, you can see where, you know, he really failed to live up to expectations there and, and definitely didn't, things didn't go as hoped. It was also uh, some of the, the spacing, too, there in Memphis. I mm-hmm. think it was something that he really wasn't used to in the past because uh, he had really been a part of a lot faster-paced offenses. Uh, so then he goes to Memphis. Of course, at the time, they had Mark and Zach and Tony out there. Uh, they were one of the slowest teams in the league during that time. Uh, I think it really uh, changed things for him. That really led to his decline. Uh, but sometimes it just comes down to point-blank, period. You're not making shots. You know, you're getting open looks from the corner. That's your sweet spot. You're just not knocking them down. Yeah. Sometimes you just need to see it go, uh, a few of them go through the hoop in order to change things. And unfortunately, that didn't happen in the postseason for him in Memphis. Yeah, for sure. Um, next thing I was curious about, and I know we've touched on this quite a bit already, but just want to make sure and see if there's anything else you wanted to add. I mean, it seems like there's been a lot of very contrasting perceptions about Jeff Green's worth. You know, some say, you know, he's a, he's a great veteran leader. He has, you know, finals experience, what have you. Others have said some of the things that you've mentioned that, you know, he's emotionless. He's a little bit unreliable. I guess, what do you make of the negative sentiments around him? And what do you think is most accurate? Well, I don't think he's a locker room cancer or anything like that. Uh, he is a vet that's been in the playoffs plenty of times. Uh, he's got a 
lot of years under his belt now. Uh, like I said, he was drafted in 2007. But, you know, he's just, he's just kind of there. Uh, I really uh, don't have a lot of different thoughts on that. Uh, I mean, it's not like he's going to be like Dwight Howard in the locker room with a lot of drama. Uh, he is kind of quiet, but you don't hear about him being like an excellent mentor or an excellent teammate. He kind of just clocks in, clocks out, uh, does his job, whether it's uh, really efficient or inefficient. Um, he just kind of, he's just there filling a roster spot. Gotcha. Okay. And um, again, we touched on this a little bit, but how do you think he fits the Jazz as far as being a stretch four? And, and how do you think he'll perform defensively in Utah? I think that's one of the best aspects for the Jazz signing Jeff Green just because he is a stretch forward. Uh, he has played a lot of small forward too, so same three stripes. Uh, you need somebody to really step up and provide some, uh, you know, some scoring, maybe a little bit of uh, good defense at the small forward position. Uh, he's definitely your guy as long as he stays healthy himself because now he is in his 30s. Uh, I think he's a decent signing though uh, for that minimum contract. Uh, especially if he is just placed in a reserve role for right now. Uh, I think that's best. Uh, you really can't argue with the Jazz front office with signing him, uh, just because, I mean, compare him to anybody else on the market for a reserve role there at that three or the four spot. Um, it's not like he's Roy Hibbert and he uh, has been phased out of the league. Uh, he can't keep up with a faster pace. He can play a slower pace now because he played that Memphis. Um, but he can definitely stretch the floor. It's just a matter of if he's going to make those shots fall or not. He can shoot the three, uh, even though it's not his best aspect. But, yeah, he can do it if the Jazz need it. Yeah, and, and I feel like the thing we keep circling back on is, you know, for a minimum contract, I mean, it's definitely a, you know, a value pick there as far as, you know, whether he, if he pans out, great. If not, well, it's not like you're spending a ton of money on him anyway. So that's good to hear. And I agree with you that I do think Jeff Green will be, you know, uh, you know a, a role player in the second unit for Utah. Um, do you think that that's how they, they should use him and how they will use him? Or, or how do you kind of foresee his role playing out in Utah? Yeah, I think he should be in that second unit out there in Utah. Uh, I haven't done a whole lot of homework on the full Jazz roster going into training camp. Uh, but I think he'll be at the very end of the bench, honestly. Uh, I think that's best, especially if you want him healthier more towards the postseason. Uh, I think that's the greatest aspect for Jeff, just because he's kind of been in those moments. Uh, if you kind of compare him to maybe a guy in his first or second season, who would you rather have in like the Western Conference Finals uh, matchup, maybe Game 6 or Game 7? Uh, I think Jeff Green would probably be a player that would not turn the ball over compared to a younger guy yeah. uh, that might have nerves on his mind. Uh, so I think it's a great signing, definitely geared towards the postseason. But yeah, if he is either second or third string in Utah, um, I think that's great. Um, he can even handle the ball a little bit, bring the ball up the court. Uh, we definitely saw that during his time in Cleveland. He handled the ball some. It's kind of like a point forward uh, in some instances. So there's uh, there's that too for the Utah Jazz if they ever need it. Say if Conley or Mitchell would go down. Um, Jeff Green definitely is comfortable handling the ball a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but they definitely should not focus on trying that out. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it, it sounds like pretty much what the sentiment is right now is that Jeff Green is going to be, you know, essentially the, the backup four, maybe some minutes at the three. Um, but, you know, a lot of the talk in, in Salt Lake City right now is that Royce O'Neal is actually going to be the starter at the power forward spot. 
um, kind of a small ball forward to, to start the game there. And I really feel like that between O'Neal and, and, you know, some Joe Ingles, some Boyan Bogdanovich, that those three are probably going to have a lot of time in that, that other forward spot um, that might kind of keep Jeff's minutes down, especially as you mentioned, Christian, in the regular season. So, yeah, I, I'm with you 100% on how he should fit in there. Um, last question, same one I asked about Conley. I know we've kind of talked about maybe some, some you know, negative or, or some different things with Jeff Green that may not be, you know, that, that good of traits. But if you could pick one thing Jazz fans should be most excited about as it relates to Jeff Green, what do you think that one trait would be? I would say versatility because he can play offense, he can play defense, um, he can stretch the floor. A lot of these stuff that we just talked about, uh, he is a versatile player. Uh, he is a tweener type. Uh, I think he could even play a little bit of small ball five if need be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think his versatility is definitely the, the big uh, positive behind this signing for the Utah Jazz. I'm just a matter of him staying healthy, but also him locking in. If you get a focus, Jeff Green, I mean, Jazz fans will be ecstatic over him. Uh, I mean, I used to be a big Jeff Green fan. We started out with Seattle Sonics. Uh, there is Kevin Durant's teammate. Uh, right before they moved to OKC. Um, I really thought he was on his way to being an all-star. Uh, then once he got to Boston, he was putting up 20 and 30 points a game every night. Uh, I mean, he's always had the potential. A lot of it just comes down to uh, him kind of getting lazy with it and him kind of becoming disinterested. But I think with uh, all the positive things the Utah Jazz have going for them entering training camp, I think that's enough to actually keep him interested, uh, keep him playing at a high level. Yeah, yeah, definitely hope so. It'll be interesting to see how his focus and discipline are with, with head coach Quinn Snyder that's kind of a no-nonsense type of guy. And um, be fun to see it all fans out. So um, with that, we'll transition now to our, our final point for the show today. Um, really want to talk about predictions for the Jazz and, and what these new additions could mean overall. Point three. All right, Christian, so we've just talked a lot about the additions of, of Mike Conley and Jeff Green and Obviously, you know, the Jazz had some other uh, big names this, this summer headlined by Boyan Bogdanovich. But, you know, with all the changes on the Jazz roster, as well as, you know, the changes across the Western Conference, uh, what's your prediction for the Jazz in 2019-20? You know, maybe your worst case, your, your best case, and your realistic prediction. So first we'll go down through this list of names, team names, uh, and where I think Utah might land. So if you look at Denver Nuggets, they had a huge season last year. Lots of youth, they're just getting better. So I think they'll be... Uh, near the top again. But then you got both the L.A. teams. Uh, definitely the Clippers, assuming Kawhi and Paul George both stay healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you got the Lakers. Of course, it's LeBron, it's AD. Uh, I'm not really sure how all that's going to work. I think they probably will be at the top, assuming LeBron kind of locks in like he has in past seasons. Uh, so I'll just pencil those guys in there, even though uh, I don't really believe that whole LeBron and AD things going to work. Yeah. Then you got the Portland, Bla- uh, Portland Trailblazers. They've gotten a little bit better this offseason. Uh, had a big season last year, too. Made some noise in the playoffs. Uh, then, of course, Utah Jazz. Um, you got Mike Conley coming on. You got some uh, guys that can help boost the team in the second unit, like Jeff Green. And then you got Golden State. Even though they lost KD, uh, Clay Thompson's going to be out for a while. They did get D'Angelo Russell. And even though it sounds like he's not going to be there, uh, permanently, that uh, they want, might wind up uh, trading him halfway through the season. Uh, I still cannot count out Draymond Green and Steph Curry, right. uh, especially because I think Steph Curry gets better uh, with more responsibility. Uh, then Houston Rockets, I don't think the whole Westbrook and Harden thing is going to go too well, uh, but, you know, it's it's Westbrook and Harden, uh, two elite players 
Um, Harden is the 50-point game god right now. Uh, Westbrook's the triple-double god. Um, yeah. I think that's just going to get them a lot of wins regardless of how well they mesh. Uh, if anything, it might be a downfall towards the end of the playoffs. Um, but I think regular season, they'll be set to be one of the top teams. Then you also look on the outside. Some surprises could be Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, Sacramento Kings, who just barely the, uh, missed the playoffs last postseason. And then New Orleans, too. Uh, they've got a lot of assets, a lot of young players. They've got some decent bets down there still, like Drew Holiday. Uh, especially guys like Zion and then also Jackson Hayes paint out to be NBA-ready. Um, really start to be uh, star players as rookies. I think that could really boost New Orleans, maybe squeak into the playoffs. Um, then you also got Dallas down there in that division. Uh, you know, if Chris Gasperzingas comes back and plays most of the season, then also you got Luca coming off of uh, Rookie of the Year. Um, they have some decent players there that could make some noise as well. Uh, then Memphis Grizzlies too. I'm not going to be biased and say, oh yeah, they're making the playoffs. But they did keep Jonas Valanciunas. They got Jaron Jackson Jr. That's going to really step up this season. Uh, he's really added a lot of muscle, and he has grown a little bit this offseason, too. So he's looking good. Then John Moran, if he winds up being NBA ready and really starts taking off uh, from day one. Uh, then Brandon Clark, too. They've got a few decent bench players, too. Uh, Memphis could even be right there in the thick of things to get one of those final playoff spots. Um, so if you look at all these teams, I mean, it's going to be really tight, I think, at the Western Conference. So I think for Utah Jazz, uh, best-case scenario, um, I would say the two-seed. I could definitely see that, especially as they continue to build since Donovan Mitchell has landed in Utah. Um, Worst-case scenario, I would say the six-seed. Um, I think they will be a really good team this year, uh, assuming that everybody stays healthy for the most part of the season. Right. Uh, but even a six-seed can really uh, play out well in their favor once the playoffs get here. Uh just because if they could wind up snagging that first-round series, uh, moving on to the second round, uh, then from there, anything's up for grabs. And they've got all the tools there on paper to keep advancing in the playoffs. So once they get past the first round, it really comes down to uh, just making shots, uh, making good plays, not turning the ball over, uh, and also taking advantage at home whenever those home games come around. Yeah, definitely. And I think one of the things that stands out to me, Christian, is you mentioned all those teams in the Western Conference, you know, like both the L.A. teams, the Nuggets, uh, the Blazers, the Jazz, the Rockets. I mean, there's there's six teams right there that, you know, and the Warriors to make it seven. Like those seven teams right there, if any of them play each other in the first round, like you can expect a battle. So regardless of what seed you're going to be in, it's going to be really hard just to get out of the first round. It's, it's going to be really fun to see how the West plays out in that regard this year. And, um, you know, to that point, I agree with you 100% that I think that the Jazz's, you know, best case scenario um, would be, you know, a top a top two or three seed, definitely. And really, I'm not going to say they're the favorite by any means, um, but I think if all the chips fall correctly, you know, you can say that it is within the Jazz's potential to, to win a championship. Um, that would be obviously the ultimate best case scenario. Um, the worst case scenario, I think, would be, yeah, kind of like you said, maybe the, the sixth seed or so and, and a first round exit, you know, getting a bad matchup in that first round or maybe grabbing a team while they're hot and unfortunately not getting past the, the first round, as disappointing as that would be. Um, realistic prediction for me, I actually I have the Jazz finishing third in the Western Conference. That's where I, I think they'll wind up. 
And um, as far as how far they'll go in the playoffs, um, my bet is that they'll make it to the conference finals. That, that's what I'm going to go with, but they'll fall just short of a finals bid. Um, with that said, what, what's, I guess, what's your realistic prediction? If you had to put money on where the Jazz are going to finish, both regular season and postseason, what would you say? Uh, I would say if it was my money and I was putting on the line, I would say the Jazz will finish fourth in the Western Conference in the regular season. Okay. Um, honestly, I could see them winning it all just because now we're starting to see um, a lot more teams on an even playing field. Uh, this offseason, we saw a lot of super teams get broken up. Um, there's a lot of teams that are basically seen as equal now. Yeah. Uh, less three-star teams, more two-star teams. Uh, Conley is basically an all-star joining Donald Mitchell there. There's going to be one lethal backcourt uh, on both ends of the floor. And especially whenever you look at the Toronto Raptors in the playoffs, okay. uh, it really came down to role players making shots uh, game after game. And that's what the Golden State Warriors were failing to do. Uh, they weren't making shots. Role players weren't effective, largely because a lot of guys were banged up. Uh, even, guy, uh, even a guy like Kevon Looney that was playing a really valuable role for them. He got banged up. He was missing time. Uh, the Warriors really hit a roadblock at that point. And the Toronto Raptors prevailed because they had guys that were out there like Fred Van Vliet just constantly uh, hitting three-point shots, uh, hitting those daggers. Um, I think guys like Mike Conley uh, will have those opportunities this season, really hit those daggers, those tough shots. Um, that will bode well for the Utah Jazz. So I think they could uh, win it all this year, speaking about the Utah Jazz. Uh, but it really comes down to sustaining a high level of health um, and also making shots in the playoffs. Because I think a lot of these playoff series will go six or seven games. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, that's exactly what we saw last year in the in the series against Houston. Obviously, the first two games were so lopsided. And you look at a five-game series and you say, man, the, the Jazz really got their butts kicked. But when you, when you uh, dive a little deeper, I mean, really, it wasn't so much the Jazz defense that faltered. It, it was the offense. They just couldn't hit open shots. They Their shooting percentages were, were terrible. And hopefully this new team will remedy that a lot this upcoming year. And, you know, another thing, too, is that when you look at last season, I don't think very many people had pinned that the Toronto Raptors would be the ones to, to win the championship, you know, when the year started. And I think a lot of people are looking at the Jazz the same way that, you know, they kind of might roll their eyes and we say the Jazz have a chance to win it all. Um, but really, the, the Jazz are built to be successful in the playoffs. They have that versatility. They are well-rounded. And they could very well be a surprise, just like in a lot of ways the Raptors were last season. And I think for Utah Jazz, it will really help their offense because Mike Conley is coming off of the season being top 20 in offensive win shooters. Mm -hmm. He's also coming off of the season where he was 15th in assists per game. Um, he's going to be putting up more points for them than they need. He's also going to be finding uh, good passes, making the right plays. They'll have to open up their offense too, especially in those playoff games. For sure. Well, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I know I'm really looking forward to you know, not just the Jazz, although that's what I'm, I'm most looking forward to, but, but just the NBA season as a whole. It's going to be, it's going to be a great year. Um, well, thanks a ton for joining the show today, Christian. I appreciate you coming on. No problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're very welcome. And I'll be uh, keeping an eye on the Grizzlies as well and hoping it'll be a fun year for you. Take care of Mike Conley out there for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we will. We're, we're, we're super grateful. I think we'll all be uh, cheering for the Grizzlies to do well for helping us land him. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Um, make sure if you're not already, be sure to give Christian a follow on Twitter. His handle is at Christian Dudley. Um, hope, hope by now you're following us on the J Notes, but if not, go ahead and give at the J Notes a follow and myself at Jared Woodcox. Um, until next time, uh, thanks again, Christian, and, and everyone have a good one.